Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stands Health. I'm Nikki Lianza, and on this episode, I'll be talking with Melanie Falls from our Brexville and Beachwood, Ohio offices about the importance of gender-affirming healthcare for transgender youth. So hello, Melanie. Welcome. Thank you for being on. Oh, hello, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Well, I've been a clinician uh, for over 30 years, Uh, spent some time in the on the administrative side of mental health, but mostly direct practice with um, adolescents and adults. I have a focus on anxiety, depression, trauma and couples and family issues. And I work with a number of uh, populations, but the one that I work with the most is the LGBTQ plus population. Um, And I've been involved with the LGBTQ plus advocacy for many years. Uh, I'm on the board of directors for the Human Rights Campaign, which is the largest LGBTQ plus organization in the world. Actually, we have about 6 million members and counting. Um, And we work on many things. We work on the educational side of the issues as well as on the advocacy and political side of the issues. We work with states and on the Hill to try to prevent uh, harmful bills from passing as well as to work to pass um, helpful uh, positive bills. And tell us more about how, you know, why is gender affirming healthcare so important for trans youth? To start, it's important to know that uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, the American Medical Academy, the Academy of uh, Psychiatry, as well as a host of other professional organizations, um, both mental health and uh, medical health, have um, affirmed gender appropriate gender treatment for transgender kids. Kids who are identifying, and typically first they are identified as gender expansive, that comes at a time when they are starting to um, recognize that they are not in the traditional mold of how we expect girls and boys to behave. Um, They begin to ask questions. They begin to behave in different ways to reflect that they are not in that traditional typical mold. Mm -hmm. That's when we would assign it as gender expansive. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important that parents at that time uh, allow their children to express these things, um, affirm those expressions, and move through that process um, in order to find where they really are in terms of their gender identity. Somewhere in that process, um, kids who are transgender Mm -hmm. uh, begin to recognize that that indeed is what they are. What they feel like on the inside uh, does not match what they are um, on the outside in terms of their uh, gender expression. At that time, and it's I think it's important to note that not all gender expressive kids wind up being transgender. 
Um, actually, a fairly small percentage of them do. But even the gender expressive kids often wind up being um, in a in a more fluid kind of gender expression. Um, they will reflect it in different ways. Um, they may identify as non-binary. But the point is, as this process unfolds, it's very important for parents and important people in that child's life to support it, affirm it, and um, consult professionals um, when they uh, feel that it's important for them, for both the child as well as the parents and the family to consult professionals and stay with them through this journey. Um, a percentage of those children do recognize that they are transgender, that indeed the gender expression that they are, the gender that they are does not match with the physical body that they have. Um, at that time, well, be, before even that um, identification is made by the child. And it, it, we always need to follow the child's lead in this with open, loving, affirming support. Prior to the identification as transgender, there's a period of time when we want to help them transition. It's called a social transition. So we follow the child's lead around, let's say, the pronouns that are used for them, mm -hmm. the clothing that they want to wear, um, the um, ways that they want to um, wear their hair, um, the bathroom that they want to use. This is a social transition, does not have anything to do with any kind of medication or medical procedures. Okay. As that unfolds, when the child begins to reach puberty and have those changes that happen in puberty, you know, the development of breasts and um, for males, facial hair, um, menstruation, that can be a very psychologically disturbing time for children who are recognizing and moving in that transgender direction. Mm -hmm. In order to buy some time to help them fully embrace their gender identity, uh, doctors will use something called puberty blockers, which in essence blocks the uh, puberty producing hormones that are in the body and, and puts a, a stay, if you will, on what those hormones do to the body. Um, it's reversible. Okay. Um, it's, it's not a permanent, doesn't have a permanent effect. So that is the beginning of uh, where medicine and uh, the transgender identification intersects. That is where um, states like Texas uh, would prevent the parents and the, the medical uh, field from doing anything to help this child, this adolescent, move towards their full identity. 
that period of time is a very psychologically susceptible time for these um, early adolescents. Mm -hmm. Often they will um, become very depressed. There are suicidal ideation, sometimes suicidal attempts as they are coping with these things that are happening to their body that they feel very uh, foreign from. Uh, so that highlights the importance of doing something like using a puberty blocker. So it's really interesting to me and in how they're saying that it's, it's abusive to allow youth to go through these mechanisms. And so it doesn't make sense to me that Texas is saying that's considered abuse when really it sounds like to me, it's actually very psychologically healthy for them to be able to express themselves. Very psychologically healthy. Before the last 25 years or more, this was seen as a um, taboo topic. Not a lot of people in the medical field or the psychological field actually did research, actual scientific research on it. But as we open up and really work to understand this, there is a growing body of evidence that to not help young transgender or even gender fluid um, kids explore this is itself abuse. Wow, wow because of the ensuing psychological right. um, problems that um, that develop. Got you. Just looking at gender identity disorder, gender dysphoria, you know, mm -hmm. just the ramifications of the dysphoria on the youth for sure. Yes, yes. So is there anything you can recommend for people to do to help support this transgender youth or just in, in ways to even speak out against what's happening? Oh yeah, there are a lot of things. Um, I, I uh, kind of divide them into two different categories. One would be more on the, the personal person to person um, plane. And um, just starting with, if you know a, a child that is, struggling with their gender identity, you affirm them, you listen to them, you um, affirm their feelings um, if you're close enough that they would um, reveal their feelings to them. You affirm the families because um, as might be anticipated, this is a, a difficult time for families, parents and families. Um, there are many things that parents um, think about, struggle with when their child begins to talk about not feeling like they are in the uh, body of the gender that they feel like they are. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, uh, often parents feel like, they're losing that child, you know, their daughter or their son. And so families, parents need to um, be able to talk about it, to be able to be able to have an empathetic ear while um, encouraging them to um, grow with their child in essence. And, um, uh, 
recognizing that their child will be optimally happy when they are able to be in the gender, express the gender that they identify with. Um, you can commit to learning more mm -hmm. about transgender youth and adults. And there are resources out there. Um, for instance, HRC's website has a host of resources uh, at a website, hrc.org backslash trans. Okay. And they, they have some resources, they educational resources that they've developed themselves, but they also have um, somewhat of a bibliography of resources that you can avail yourself uh, of and, and learn more. There's, there is a lot to learn um, about the topic. Um, we can let our schools know that we support um, gender support transition affirmation policies. Um, there's a Department of Education guidance on transgender students' rights. Mm -hmm. We can advocate at the school level, um, well, virtually at any school. Mm -hmm. um, there are schools who are embracing this, thankfully. Um, there are schools who are. Um, not um, coming down one way or the other. And there are schools who unfortunately are being um, very abusive and disregarding of their transgender students. Um, we can uh, affirm gender supportive behavior, like when we see um, children saying, well, that's a boy toy or that's a girl toy. We can. Um, you know, gently and um, lovingly say, no, there, you know, there, there really isn't boy right. toys and girl toys. It's no gender toys. Like, right. yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. um, we can steer away from or um, discourage people from talking about boys wearing blue and girls wearing pink and uh, all of those gender expectations that. Uh, we've all grown up with to um, uh, to assign to a girl or a boy. Um, those are a few of the things that we yeah. can do from a personal perspective. Now, there's I, I divide it uh, into personal and political. Okay, uh, because the political aspect is very very important if you want to affirm and. Um, help the transgender youth as well as the transgender community in general. Um, right now, there are uh, something like, let me get my statistics here. There are, right now, active, there are 277 active bills that are against LGBT wow. plus people in the various states. 113 of them are anti-trans, including 28 healthcare bans and 59 sports bans. They're wow. active right now. Legislatures in states are talking about them. Um, there are 58 discriminatory education bills against LGBTQ people. There are 30 uh, discrimination in the form of religious refusal bills. 
Um, so that's 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 a long list of things. That is a very there. long list. How would someone go about finding out where these bills are? Like, how can someone who's really interested in what's going on in the LGBTQ plus community politically would this be going to the HRC website to be able to? Yes, absolutely. Yes, you can go to the HRC website. There, there's um, there's a composite. It's a little easier to um, learn and understand about uh, the bills where other people have done the work. You can go to the state legislatures' uh, websites, and um, there are where they're numbering and identifying and explaining the bills. The bills after they pass from committee are usually posted online at the state's um, website. That's a little more involved and time consuming and uh, sometimes takes some experience in reading uh, bills, for instance, to learn about it. But um, you can narrow it to your state. For instance, Ohio right now in committee has a bill that will prevent providers from giving transgender kids um, transitioning um, services. Now, it hasn't come out of committee, um, but it is there. And if it comes out of committee, then it will be um, aired on the floor of Ohio's Senate and um, state legislature and has a potential to pass. Um, so you can go to your individual states to find out um, where and if there are bills and what level of um, what level they are in terms of getting them passed. Um, I could, and I think time prohibits it on um, this podcast, but. Uh, I could go down the actual states who have bills right now that um, are close to being passed. There is a bill in Florida. Yes. Um, this isn't um, specific to only transgender uh, people. There is a don't say gay bill that I believe passed today. That's what I heard. Yes. And what that bill does is prevent um, educators from talking about mentioning um, anything having to do with LGBTQ plus people in the school. I do believe that it is um, elementary and middle school. I don't think it includes high school. Um, which I guess if there's any kind of positive thing, um, that might be it. But children begin to question and want to know and understand about these things very early. Um, And middle school is a a hotbed, if you will, for children questioning, um, wondering how they will what what they think and what is real and true about um, LGBTQ people. So preventing it from elementary school and middle school is um, still a huge detriment. Um, one of the ways that, uh, for instance, 
um, HRC and some other advocacy organizations have tried to help uh, transgender kids is to do public readings of books like I Am Jazz, for instance, which is a book written by a, um, a, a transgender youth who transitioned to um, transgender female. Okay. It's a very a kind of cute book that is in uh, children's language with illustrations. Um, research has shown that reading these kinds of things to children or allowing them to read them is very helpful in developing affirming and open attitudes. Well, those books will no longer be allowed in Florida schools. I, I think it gives the inherent message of like, there, there is then something wrong with you if you are under that umbrella or questioning it. I think that's the message you might be giving kids. I, I even think of, of youth in Florida who have two moms or two dads, you know, maybe even non-traditional families. And what message is that telling them as well? Oh, yes. I mean, it, it's it's pretty... Um, it's pretty clear what kind of message right. they're sending. And it remains to be seen. And I haven't, um, I'm sure there is some, but I haven't read any analysis on this. But one could um, speculate that kids with two moms or two dads, um, are they going to be um, kept from talking about their families? In school, how will school administrators handle this? How will school um, social workers and school counselors handle this? How will school counselors handle it when they have a child that comes to them and says, I, I think I might be gay or uh, I think I might be transgender? Where will their liability be and their ability to help land? Right. Right. I, and then that right there strikes it at the core of, of these youth's mental health, not even being able to bring it forward to talk with an adult about it to help them explore it or being afraid to say anything at school. It's just. It's really yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, and the shame that that um, fosters is. Um, I mean, it's it's a given. All mental health professionals know, as well as most people know, that living in a state of shame is very detrimental to mental health and affects you way and well into your adulthood. Many of the clients that I work with um, come to me because they have lived with this uh, overcast of shame most of their lives, not necessarily for LGBT things, but um, even in but general, in general, right. Will carry. right. I have a, 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 my youngest son is a um, assistant principal at a, a very large school district in the area. And uh, last year, uh, he and the administrators in the school decided to have a pride week uh, where they wanted to affirm um, LGBT kids in their school and um, show support and really open the topic to public embracing. And my son spent a week fielding somewhere over 200 calls wow. um, by parents who said, you are trying to turn my kid gay. Wow, wow. 
So that's, uh, you know, an anecdotal, but a close example that I have um, to still the public outcry and misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. That's the key, the misunderstanding of it. Yes. By talking about it actually helps the child to explore it, to understand it. Yes. You know, as opposed to, again, that, that concept of like trying to turn someone gay or LGBTQ just blows my mind that that's where some people... That's the perception. Yes. How inaccurate that is. Yes. Yes. I like to say that um, I don't know many uh, out LGBTQ people whose parents were LGBTQ. Parents, the vast majority are straight. So if you reverse that logic, Um, If straight parents had LGBTQ kids, what happened to that influence logic, right? Exactly. Um, So it's, yeah, it's... It's faulty logic, for sure. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Melanie, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wind down our time together? I would hope that... um, people would open up, people who listen to the podcast, um, parents, um, individuals, professionals would make it a goal to learn as much as they can. Yes, about transgender youth, but all LGBTQ people. Our country will be a better place for all of us if we can have an environment where all of us are accepted. I agree. Um, And if you're so inclined, um, look at what's happening politically and make your voice known. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you for everything you shared. And thank you for being such an amazing advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. Oh, thank you. It's an honor.